Why do business in the Lone Star State? I'm Gene Marks, a CPA, small business owner, and host of the Paychecks Thrive podcast. And today, in the Paycheck Spotlight on Texas, you'll learn what's driving the economic boom. We have got an esteemed panel of people from Texas that we're going to be talking to about the workforce in Texas. I've got John Scott, I've got Catherine Hardison, I've got Brian Daniel, I've got Denise Hernandez. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you, or shall I call you Mr. Secretary of State? John is the, the Secretary of State of the State of Texas. John, you know, just, you know, I don't want to insult you or our, or our audience, but please give us a description of what your, your job is for the state. Well, so the Secretary of State itself is a position that is about 200 employees. So it's a fairly small agency, especially compared to Chairman Daniels. Uh, when you visit Brian Daniel and understand how large his group is, you will have a better perspective in the amount of money they handle for the state. Uh, and I'm not trying to minimize what we do. We are very hardworking people handling about 30 plus percent increase in the number of business filings. So if you want to create a business or do business in Texas, we are the entity that licenses those. We license everything from sports agents uh, and we're the uh, chief election official. In addition to that, we oversee the, the state's interaction with foreign governments, uh, most especially and most recently with uh, Mexico and principally those four border states. Uh, and that's so it's a, a real easy snapshot of us. That's really helpful. Man, do I have a lot of questions for you about that, but that's not the topic of this, you know, of this conversation. Is it, can I call you John or should I call you, you know, Mr. Secretary? John is great. John is good. John's super. Yeah, that's fine. I, that's why I, I love dealing with people from Texas because they are, they don't care. They're very informal and I love that. So good for you. Um, let's move to Brian. Brian Daniel is the chairman of the Texas Workforce Commission. Uh, Brian Tell us what that means and what you do. Yeah, over here at the Texas Workforce Commission, we're the, we're the state's agency that looks at all, all aspects of the workforce, from hiring to unemployment, uh, if that ends up being a situation, and a number of different programs that we do across the workforce for folks that might be veterans or former foster youth or, or even people experiencing disabilities. And we also run the child care uh, subsidy program for the state. That's a federal program that the states run. So we cover a lot of different ground. There's about 4,500 employees here at the Workforce Commission across the state dealing with all of those different areas. Uh, at the end of the day, you, know, you can really boil it down to two things. One, we're here to make sure that employers can find the top talent that they need. And we're also here to make sure that uh, if people who are looking for jobs, job seekers in Texas, our Texas workforce can really maximize their potential in that workforce. And, and if you just look at those two things alone, uh, it gives us a lot of things to work on. We've got a lot of opportunities here. Yeah, I was just going to ask you what you do the other four days of the week, but I, I guess you, you kind of answered that. Brian, how do you how do you get that job? Like, what is your what is your background? Right. So I was uh, immediately prior to this job, I was the governor's uh, director for economic development uh, for the state of Texas. And that follows. Uh, Oh, about a decade in rural economic development and private sector jobs that I had. So I've done a lot of work in the economic development space and a lot of work in marketing. Uh, I was the governor's director of economic development when there was a vacancy on the Workforce Commission. And he asked me if I would be willing to come over here. So the governor appointed me to this job, was confirmed by the Senate in the last legislative session. And my term actually runs through, I believe, 2025. Um, sometime that year. Um, and it's, so it's a six year term. It gives us an opportunity to really dig in and get some things done. And it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for me. I'm, I'm having an exceptional time doing this. 
uh, at the same time, it's quite an honor to serve the people of Texas. That is great. Catherine Hardison is an economic development reporter uh, that covers Texas. Tell us a little bit about what you cover and some of the stuff you've been writing about, Catherine. Yeah, for about a year and a half, I was really focused on um, the relocation of companies to Texas, more specifically Central Texas, and how that uh, has impacted the workforce there. You know, companies like Tesla, um, you know, Apple's been growing their presence there, and now Samsung is headed that way too. Uh, recently, I've expanded my focus statewide um, and getting to see how this trend of companies from the coast is impacting the entire state. All right. Well, thank you, Catherine. Now let's move over to Denise, who I know, Denise, we were talking before we got started with this. You're chomping at the bit to hear what some of the people on this call are going to say, particularly Brian and John. So, Denise, you're the owner of multiple businesses in the San Antonio area. Tell us about these companies. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So we have a family owned business called True Flavors Catering. Um, The catering company opened 27 years ago and it was started by my husband, Mark, and his brother, Chef Johnny Hernandez. And so Johnny Hernandez has traveled the world in Mexico and really mastered um, interior Mexican cuisine. But about 13 years ago, we really started to develop our our family of businesses and our portfolio. Um, We've got restaurants, we have a commercial linen company, we have uh, corporate dining facilities throughout the San Antonio area as well. And during the pandemic, thanks to our state government, we had pink margarita trucks that were running around the state serving margaritas because <laughs> we could do liquor to go. So I will say that I definitely use um, Secretary Scott's services quite often, along with Chairman Daniel and everything that we do for economic development in our city and all the people that we employ. That's great. So, so Denise, let, let's dig into it right now. As a company, I mean, approximately how many employees do you have across the businesses that you own or involved with? You know, that number is always changing. Yeah. Um, pre-pandemic, we were several hundred, I would say maybe four to 500. We have units that are in the San Antonio airport. So, you know, we've got restaurants out there. Right now, I say we're anywhere between two to three. Um, it really depends. We, you know, like so many other small businesses, we are still struggling with the labor market. And, you know, whether it's hiring them, retaining them. Um, so that number is constantly changing for us. Yeah. You know, I, I no offense to me. I'm not hearing that from anybody. It seems like every business is fine with their employees. They've got plenty of workers. So obviously, I'm just kidding. I, um, so what are you doing about that? I mean, how are you finding employees? I mean, there's no secret sauce. There's no silver bullet, obviously. Yeah. But I, I'm wondering if you could share with our audience just um, – how are you finding workers? Sure. You know, we've had to be creative in, I think we're doing a lot of the traditional things, you know, posting online, putting out ads. Um, and a lot of it now has become word of mouth. It's like, hey, do you have anybody who's working, living at home, who's breathing, walking, moving, you know, anybody who wants to work um, in that sense sometimes? Because as businesses start to reopen and you see we do a lot on the catering side, we do a lot of nonprofit work. So um, we're getting a lot of nonprofit business and the catering, though, is it fluctuates. Right. We're not Monday through Friday, nine to nine to ten or you know set schedules. So it depends on when events are happening. So 
historically, we would all pull from this group of people in the service industry, whether it's my catering company, someone else's catering company. We also work at the convention center. We partner with the operators out there. And so we would all pull from the same group. And that was really kind of what we did. And then we would partner with um, temp agencies, but the temp agencies are seeing the same problems, the same demands. I know I was sharing with you pre-COVID, you know, we were paying 17, $16 an hour. Um, during COVID, our price went up to 19 and today it is $27 an hour if I want to hire a temp agent, um, their staff to come and help us cater an event, load a truck. So it gets really, really challenging. Unfortunately, we've had to turn away business because we don't ever want to extend ourselves to where we can't offer the quality and the service that we've been known for for the past 27 years. So we've had to really be selective on who we, what business we take to make sure that we can fulfill our obligations. So a lot of it has been, you know, reaching out to people we know and just saying, do you have anyone who's interested in working? We've gotten competitive. You know, we've had to increase our hourly rate. Um, I'm doing things in-house for our employees to make them feel like family because they feel like sometimes you're not gonna leave family. In my mind, you're not gonna leave family for 50 cents, right? Or 75 cents or a dollar. Um, so we try to do these things to make our employees feel really appreciated and really special. And we've always done that. We've got tenured employees that we were able to hold on to through through the pandemic, but now it's just a little more challenging. Catherine, I, you know, I mean, you cover Texas, so you know, obviously Denise is in, you know, is in the restaurant, you know, food, you know, industry. You look at real estate, manufacturing, distribution, even big companies. I mean, uh, you know, you know I, I guess I have two questions for you. Number one is, are you seeing obviously the same effects, you know, that, that Denise is seeing, Catherine, and also. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think the impact, you know, we hear about so many large companies moving into Texas for great reasons. Um, but, you know, that also puts pressure on small businesses to compete for the same talent. So talk to me about that. Yeah, um, obviously having a company like Tesla that, you know, at this point, Elon Musk is estimating eventually needing 20,000 direct workers on the ground, yeah. um, which is so much bigger than what they initially said. Um, but when companies like that come in, obviously that's going to attract people to the state, um, attract talent, but it's also going to take away talent from some of the smaller manufacturers, the smaller businesses. Um, and to be honest, you know, people that I talk to in the manufacturing sector, they don't know what they're going to do. Um, because it's kind of hard to beat out a company like Tesla that doesn't really require you to have a college degree that lets you have stake in the company um, and will even pay you to go to Austin Community College for uh, your education. So uh, there's just a lot of things that manufacturers are facing right now. Um, in terms of tech, I know that there's quite a few companies that are having to think really creatively about how they, you know, reach potential employees um, and even having to consider lowering some of their initial standards for what an employee looks like. Um, for example, you know, the, the college education requirements or, you know, deciding to educate or train on the job. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of things that are changing because of some of these massive companies that are coming into the state. So, Catherine, you know, for you, I mean, 
do you, do you think you know are, are the, the, any of the challenges of finding employees? Do you think there's any health concerns related to that? Do you think that some employees are not coming back to work to maybe Denise's rest? Not that Denise doesn't run a healthy and safe workplace, but do you think they're concerned that oh we're staying at home because we don't want to get COVID? Do you see that in your reporting, Catherine? I don't necessarily see that in, you know, people, maybe part-time workers. Um, I see it more in some of the full-time workers that are just maybe a little bit more picky about where they want to spend their time. Um, obviously, the great resignation is part of that. Um, you know, maybe a company says, hey, we're ready to go back to the office Um and it's a requirement now, and people just feel more comfortable saying, actually, I'll just find something else um, because we have gotten so used to this environment over the last few years. Um, so personally, in my reporting, I've seen more of that with full-time uh, employees, but I've also seen it you know, cause some people to reconsider what they want to do for their career. Um, for example, there's been a lot of people that have left their jobs uh, to become real estate agents recently <laughs> for a few different reasons. But um, one of them is to be able to create your own schedule to dictate when you go out. Sorry, when you go out into public um, and how you interact with people. Yeah, that makes sense. If I was living in Texas, I would definitely consider being a real estate agent. There's no, <laughs> no question. That seems like a great yeah. industry. <laughs> To be in. Um, John, Secretary Scott, let me turn to you next. So um, every month, Paychex puts out like a small business employment watch, right? It's called the Paychex IHS Market Small Business Employment Watch. And the reason why I bring that up, besides the fact that this is a Paychex converse, you know, podcast uh, and, and webinar that we're doing, um, is because just month after month, Texas like tops the charts. You know, you are like the Beatles of small business unemployment in a good way. You know, I mean, like it, you you show employment growth, um, you know, leads, you know, all other states. Um, you know, Dallas was the top metro in, in April 2022 of all metropolitan areas for employment growth. And Houston is in the top 10. I'm looking at the numbers now. It's very strong in Texas. And I know that's no surprise to you. Um, but Catherine's just saying that there's, you know, Big companies are moving in, and you know you've got Elon Musk, who's going to be looking for twenty thousand workers coming to the state of you know state of Texas to work for him. And and Denise is saying that she's, you know, she didn't use the word, but it seems like almost desperate for you know good employees and talented employees. So, so again, John, Secretary Scott, the question for you is: What more will the state of Texas be doing? What are your plans for attracting new workers into the state? Um, not only to serve those big companies, but also small companies like Denise's. It, it, well, it's interesting. And I, I've got a couple of stats. Let me rub them off to you because I Bring think it kind of tells how we address the employment issue coming forward. And I think it's education. And uh, you know, our, our state's got 30 million people. It, it's increasing exponentially. But I think one of the great advantages, we have 24 uh, Blue Ribbon public schools in 2021. We had the third highest rate of graduation rate amongst all, uh, all states in the nation amongst Hispanics, fourth highest among black students, third highest for economically disadvantaged. We've got 37 public universities, uh, four-year universities. We've got 11 tier one research universities. So our state, and you incorporate the 50 community colleges we have, it is a phenomenal network of education that we have to build that upon. Uh, I think from our standpoint, what we're seeing, and I think that's going to be true for a lot of employers, we're also now tapping into 
people who live in East Texas, West Texas, uh, in the panhandle, because we're encouraging our folks to find jobs that can be done from home to be done, but not to limit it for somebody staying at home in, you know, west of town or east of town. Go to different counties. Let's tap into the vast reserve of, of people who are very well educated. They're great uh, assets to any organization. And we're tapping into them and we're doing it remotely because that is the future. And it is the only way that you're going to be able to attract people from the state standpoint, because if I have to drive an hour and a half, I'm finding me another job. Uh, and I think if we're either uh, accept that fact and build a next kind of iteration of state government based upon that, we can succeed. If we if we don't do that, and we require people to be at their desk. We're going to have a lot of empty desk. You know, just to follow on to that, and it, it's a tough job that you've got because every, you know, in your job, you want to attract companies to your state. You want to attract businesses to grow your economy. And yet you've just heard, you know, from, from two people that they're saying, like, we need workers as well. You know, like you have to juggle, like, do we attract people into the state of Texas or do we attract, you know, more businesses into the state of Texas? Is there a priority among the two? I, I think Texas has the benefit, and, and uh, Chairman Daniel will be able to specifically address this, I know, because he knows about everything. Oh, about I'll get to him. I'm going to get to him. <laughs> but I, I was going to throw this out that I, I think one of the great advantages that Texas has is it's in a positive spiral. I mean, at some point in time, the two kind of feed off of each other. And when things are going poorly in your state, and we won't name any specific states, but if you're in a state that's got a negative spiral and a negative outlook, it's easy to tell your family if you've just lost your job or it looks like the company you're working for is not doing so well. Let's maybe go to a warmer climate. I mean, we've got with the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, there's almost 8 million people living up in it. Uh, Houston, the greater Houston area is 7.5 million people. I mean, we have these phenomenally large locations. Uh, Austin to San Antonio has become almost one giant mass of people in between. Mm. And so you look at that triangle and the population, which is probably 80 some odd percent of the population of the great state, uh, it, it is full of opportunities. It is full of places to be able to work, but it's also full of resources in the form of, of, of people that are willing to work and do the work. Now, from Denise's company standpoint, I think that becomes kind of a, it's one of those remote is going to do zero to help her workforce. And I think that's the interesting thing. And I'd love to, uh, you know, Hear from Workforce Commission about what that iteration of the world looks like. I'm going to get I'm going to get to Brian one minute though. I have one other question for you, um, Secretary Scott. Um, it has to do with immigration, and you know, again, I don't. This is not a political podcast, so I don't want to I don't want to delve into the politics of immigration. But obviously, we know that um, you know the more legal immigrants, I, I think, can can help people like Denise and other business owners. Um, that are looking for workers. I, I and I don't know. I really don't know the answer. So that's why I'm asking you, um, Secretary Scott. Is, is there? There's the state of Texas is very much handcuffed with what you can do from the federal government. But is there? Is there anything that your state can do to ease the immigration issue a little bit more from a state perspective that can help employers like Denise hire more legal immigrants? You know, for her business. So immigration is something that's ex the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government. Yeah. Um, we yeah. obviously recently tried to do some stuff to kind of 
uh, stem the tide or at least get more of a controlled entrance to the United States down at our, our border that the governor implemented. Um, and that's still playing out, obviously. And I think it'll continue to play out. Uh, but ultimately, I think you've got to have, uh, the, I think you have to have Congress and the president agree on a package that sets us in kind of a little different path forward than where we are currently to address that. Yeah, I just yeah, you know, can I say, can I jump in real quick? Of um, I'm glad you bring that up because the industry that we're in, you know, hospitality, catering, food, beverage, and even I've got great friends that are in the construction business. I mean, we battle with this all the time, right? We need skilled labor. Um, and we've got an influx of people coming in. And as God is my witness, I had someone knock on my door just earlier this morning looking for a job. And they come and they'll look for work. And the first thing out of my mouth is, you know, do you have a social security? Do you have a TIN sure. number? Like, what do you have? Because we're speaking Spanish. Obviously, I know that, you know, they're um, coming in from Mexico. And through conversation, they're like, no, I don't. And so it's very difficult for me to say, well, I'm so sorry. You know, and I do. It's we can't we can't work you. And they don't understand why. I had one lady who was like, well, can't you just pay me cash? <laughs> I was like, no, it doesn't work that way. We'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, because these they're they're desperate to work. They want to work. And I agree with Secretary Scott. We need to find an agenda on the federal level that allows the people who are coming in and using our resources an opportunity for a better life for their family. You know, no one, if, if they're here, then let's give them an opportunity to work. And so we see this on a day-to-day -day basis where there are so many people who are ready and hungry and willing. We just can't do it. Yeah. And if I could even just add to that, you know, again, somebody who lives in the northeast part of the country, it's frustrating that it, it still remains obviously a federal issue because it's a separate country. We're talking about Mexico, but it has such a huge impact on Texas, which is why I asked you, Secretary Scott, is there you know, is there anything that the state itself can be doing to help ease this issue? And and your answer was, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's your it's up to the federal government to do what they got to do. Right. All right, Brian, you're 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 not getting away now. I've got lots of questions for you. Um, and, and this is all related to uh, workforce and workforce development. So, you know, like you you've heard from both Denise and Catherine about, you know, you know, the challenges that businesses are having finding people. There's training issues. So uh, here's my first question to you. Um, and this is uh, and Denise, please take this in the spirit that it's given. I I meet a lot of business owners that they're, they're struggling, they're challenged to find workers for their business. And yet they are not aware, fully aware of all of the programs that are available to them or the states make available to them. Um, and I wanted your comment on that, Brian. Do you, first of all, do you, this, this, whole, this whole conversation is to spread awareness among Texas business owners. So number one is, do you, do you agree that more awareness needs to be spread among business owners is number one for the programs that you offer? Number two is what more can you be doing uh, as part of the Workforce Commission to spread that awareness? And then let's talk about some of the programs that you guys are offering that can help, you know, Denise and some of the people that Catherine's reporting on. So it's a three-part question, if that helps. Absolutely. No, it's a great question, all three parts of it. Uh, the, fir the first thing is, is I don't think there's enough awareness. I think there's opportunities that we could take and others to really help business owners understand. You, you know, it, it's a challenge right now. It was actually slightly a challenge pre-pandemic 
uh, as things shifted during the pandemic, uh, the challenge has shifted with it, but but not necessarily in the right direction in terms of finding uh, the talented folks that people need uh, to work at their business. So, of course, we need more awareness. And we do a number of things here at the Workforce Commission to increase that awareness. Uh, but I think there's always more that we can be doing to reach those business owners that need that kind of help. In terms of what we can do to help business owners, uh, it's really a more complicated equation than just matching up somebody who's looking for a job with somebody who needs to hire someone because there's so many different industries in the state. And there are skills that are transferable. Number one skill that that businesses tell us they're looking for when they're hiring someone are are simply customer service skills. Uh, And so that's a skill that you can gain in any number of places that you might work and have the opportunity uh, to apply that in the workplace. Uh, But at the same time, if you're in catering or if you're in uh, computer manufacturing or you're in nursing or truck driving, those uh, particular jobs require very specific skills and very specific uh, credentials that you would need to get. And so uh, our ability to help employers kind of runs in some parallel lines at times. So we can help match you uh, with the available talent pool if you're an employer, or if you're a job seeker, we can help match you with employers uh, that are looking for work. We have 180 offices through our workforce boards statewide, and there's an opportunity to plug in and get both online help and and actually talk to a real live TWC uh, partner or employee that can help you uh, match up between employers and job seekers. Um, But at the same time, if you're realizing that you're in a field where you would uh, like to perhaps change fields or go a little bit different direction, there's opportunities uh, for us to help employers uh, find folks that are ready to make that change and do the necessary upskilling or reskilling that they might need to do that job. Now, I think this is going to be pretty key moving forward. I think this notion of reskilling or upskilling, whether in place or in preparation of, of making a little bit of a change, I think that needs to become an increased focus for both employers and job seekers. From the employer angle, the fact is the skills that we gain today, uh, six months, a year from now, are starting to look a little bit tired, sometimes obsolete, because uh, the rate at which technology is helping us do our jobs is increasing exponentially. And so we've got to do some things to keep up with that. And I think for many employers, reskilling their current workforce is a great way to make an investment in that workforce, show some connection to that workforce, probably keep them in place uh, to continue to work for that employer. We tend to categorize things at the Workforce Commission in terms of high skill, middle skill, low skill. But the fact is, is there's reskilling that can take place across all of that particular continuum of skills. If we look at catering, we might think we've been talking about that. If we we look at catering, we might think that there, there might be some jobs that have less sort of skills required, some entry-level kinds of jobs. And then there's going to be some jobs uh, like a chef uh, that's going to require a number of credentials for that person. But but my bet would be that, that any good uh, catering owner, any anybody who owns a catering business and is doing well in the community that they're in, is looking for ways to make sure that that person who starts off uh, bussing tables uh, at an event Uh, might someday find their way to the kitchen to be that next chef for uh, the company. The reason for that is company culture. We have a culture at each of our companies, and we want to make sure that our employees can fully experience that company culture and know that they have a place where they can succeed and and really move forward for their family. So our skills development program is a tool 
that employers can use to train their employees. We've got a number of job training opportunities for employees at our workforce offices and online at the Workforce Commission through our metrics learning platform. And there's, there's quite a few of these tip programs that can typically focus in on one or more areas and really help a zero in on what it is where we might be missing in the equation and how we add that thing into the equation. Okay. So Denise, do you want to jump in? I mean, you, I mean, my, if I'm you, my question, you know, to, to Brian is that, okay, I am looking for people here. You're, you're telling me that there's all these different programs that are available, which is great. So, you know, just what do I do? Right. I mean, is that, is that a fair question? Unless you have something to add to that. No, I mean, I agree with what Chairman is saying. You know, I am the uh, board chair for the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce this year. And our mission is we we serve small businesses. We serve Hispanic businesses. And I would I would say that there have been on occasion where I will reference people to the Workforce Commission website. And we use it. You know, we use it. I'm very familiar with both gentlemen and what they do in their agencies. Um because as small business owners, we go there. And it, it is a little challenging because what happens is we do, and you're absolutely right, Chairman Daniel, we've had people who started as dishwashers in our restaurants and who've worked their way up to general managers. Um, and I believe in what you just said, it is about culture and taking care of your people. But you know, sometimes you, you get that stellar employee and then sometimes you get the ones that you know, they're just passing through, right? And especially in our industry where for wait staff, it's part-time work or it's weekend work. Um, and, you know, we, we aren't a, we're not an industry that can go virtual. I, I just can't, I can't, I need people, I need bodies, I need, you know, boots on the ground, right? And so serving, catering, loading equipment, that's not a virtual option for us. And so that has somewhat been our challenge. Um, because you're right, people want, we've, we've learned that we can do a lot virtually. Um, we've learned that we can pivot and we can be just as successful sometimes in certain industries. And so they want that opportunity. And I, agree, I understand, I get it, I'm a mom of four. And so I wanna be home with my kids too when they get home from after school. And so we're learning to maneuver in a new world where we do use some of these resources, but sometimes they're not easy to access, right? Or sometimes you're on hold for a really long time and you don't have the bandwidth in your office where you know someone can, can wait on hold for an hour or two hours. And so sometimes we do run into problems that, that put little roadblocks up ahead of us, but as small business owners, we learn to adapt, we learn to figure things out and entrepreneurs are just, you know, we've got a lot of grit. Right, right. Catherine, do you see you know, the, the, the companies that you cover in Texas, um, there's only so much that the Workforce Commission can do. Uh, there's only so many people available. So uh, what do you see from some of the people that you cover, big and small, that they're doing to mitigate this lack of labor? Is it technology they're investing in? Is it, you know, pushing their people harder, you know, more hours in a day? I'm just, I'm, I'm curious as to what you're saying. Hmm, I'm trying to think of how I would answer that. Um, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to manufacturing, for example, robots, that's yep. a, that's a good answer. Yep. Um, but, you know, I mean, really, I'm seeing a lot of what Denise is saying she's experiencing. And uh, I think another part of that um, is that there are a lot of 
reskilling and upskilling programs right now um, that are being used to uh, take uh, employees and, cre- and create these skills for some of the more trained jobs to fill those holes. And so it's taking away from the hospitality industry, um, which is really, uh, sorry, Brian, do you want to say something? Go ahead, Brian. No, I was, uh, Catherine, I, I, I was going to jump in. I, I, I think you're, you're hitting on, you're probably seeing this in your reporting and, and uh, you've picked up on what seems like a very subtle wrinkle, but it's actually pretty significant in the workforce. So if you look at college enrollments during the pandemic, they dropped about 8% across the board. But what that did is it altered certain segments of the workforce. So people who are students might look for more flexible labor in the hospitality industry. Well, they're not going to school anymore uh, because of the pandemic, if that's their situation. And so they've left that hospitality job to go into something that's a little more structured, uh, that gives a little more uh, pay. They chose hospitality to go to school because they could work at night or on the weekends. If they're not going to go to school, they choose something that puts them into a job that's that's perhaps, you know, seven to seven each day or, or something along those lines, perhaps manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, something along those lines. That that altering of the motivation to go to work is part of what we're seeing in, in the in the great realignment. Some call it the great resignation. You're seeing people move to different areas of the workforce that they need. So it's leaving shortages in areas where we might not have seen them before uh, while we're gaining in some other areas. At the same time, uh, companies, we've had five sustained months of increased job growth. We're setting records every month at this point. We've added more jobs in the first quarter of 2022 than we have in any three uh, opening quarter since 1990. So we've not stopped creating new jobs while we're still seeing shifting of the other jobs. And I, 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 you picked up on that in your reporting, and I, I, we're starting to see it borne out by the numbers, and we're looking for some explanations for it and certainly some solutions. Um, but it's, I find it fascinating um, that not, not only did you come across it in your reporting, you were able to put that kind of into perspective in terms of what it means for the for the workforce, because I think it's a very subtle element that's going on kind of under the main current that we're seeing. Yeah, um, you know, for example, Central Texas, Austin Metro in particular is one of the fastest recovering economies in all of the U.S. from the pandemic. Um, I think it was maybe number two behind Salt Lake City, Utah, um, which is amazing. It means that there's jobs being created all over the place. There's a lot more uh, options, but that doesn't mean that everything is fully recovered. So really, you know, what we've been seeing is that, you know, we have gains in all of these areas, but hospitality, the, you know, leisure and hospitality sector is where we're still trying to fill jobs that were lost at the onset of the pandemic. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a certain position at a certain hotel still hasn't been uh, refilled or recreated. Uh, just simply the number of people working in that sector is a lot lower. Um, and part of that is because some people decided to reskill or maybe take that Tesla job, um, you know, and, and move up to a different sector. Um, so that, that's really what we're seeing in Austin. You know, one of the things that I wanted to share is we, I think the struggle for our industry when it comes to tourism, hospitality, food and beverage is that we are definitely the industry that passes on that cost, right? And so for us, there's only so much I can charge for a chicken meal or a taco 
or, you know, whatever it might be, right, when they come in either through the restaurants or to the catering. And so when we're having to pay wages that are a lot more and they're very competitive, you're absolutely right. You know, you get into an industry that was hit. the. We were hit first. We were hit the large, hardest and we were hit the longest. And I always say this because on an event side, the catering was completely shut down. I mean, you know, as you all know, we weren't doing anything. No one could gather. Right. And so we had to be very creative. Um, but now that we're coming back online, a lot of these industry workers and the thing is, yeah, I wish that we could pay $27 an hour. Who doesn't want a better employee, right? A skillful employee, an educated employee, because that just makes our job easier. But the problem is I don't have a customer who wants to incur that cost when I've got 10 or 20 people on the floor for a big catering at $27 an hour. Sure. So it makes it somewhat challenging for us, right? And, you know, we were talking about my husband always says, how is Jeff Bezos going to put me out of business? Because he's coming after so many different industries in terms of online purchasing. And and I chuckle and I'm like, no, don't ever say that. You know, I don't know, some kind of catering thing that they might want to do. But um, we talk about how can we become more effective and efficient? Is it through some kind of automated service in our front of the office? the back of the office, loading trucks, warehouse. I mean, do we have to look at bringing in robots to help restack product? Um, all of these have been really interesting conversations because they feel like we're going to move in that direction. And then when people are ready to come back to work, these jobs are going to be filled in some different way. Yeah. You know, I was in Vegas a few weeks ago and I went to the Paris Hotel and um, to check in, they used to have like 15 people behind the check-in counter there was one person behind the check-in counter and a dozen self-service kiosks where you put in your confirmation number and stick in your driver's license and it spits out your room key. So I don't know what those kiosks cost, maybe a hundred grand a piece or something, but certainly less than what it would cost to employ somebody. You know, Brian, does that, does, does that concern you? I mean, you know, bit like, I mean, Catherine said earlier about robots and manufacturing, and I'm seeing this across the country that a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies now, this technology is becoming more and more affordable, and it is literally replacing you know, employees you know, in different areas of a company. So, you know, Brian, you're like workforce commission. Does that, is that a concern of yours, technology? Yeah, I, you know, I think technology uh, is, is always a concern for two reasons. One, the, the rate at which companies can adapt to that technology, and certainly we, we are concerned and do uh, concern ourselves with the displacement of workers. And I think uh, in a lot of instances, what we've seen technology do uh, is it really kind of puts the, the human workforce uh, into uh, their highest and best use. In other words, it, it has a tendency to mm -hmm. solve some rote kind of functions and allow people to really apply their talents. I think we have to bring reskilling and upskilling back into the conversation here because you know, if, if your job's been replaced by technology, um, that, that's that's more than disruptive to your personal life. But I think there's opportunities uh, for you to continue to look at those those jobs that might take advantage of your other skills that the technology is simply not going to have. One thing the pandemic did, in my opinion, is it accelerated a lot of technology that lets us work from wherever we may be and gives us opportunities to to do different kinds of work. And I think for all of us, it's understanding what the best balance is between uh, using that technology to, to position our company or, or this agency 
uh, in the best possible way to do the job that we're doing to maximize uh, our profits or to maximize our reach in the case of the Workforce Commission. And, and then to make sure that our talented workforce are deploying their talents in a way that's A, meaningful to them, and B, um, advantageous to the mission of our organization. So Secretary Scott, I'm going to get to you in just a minute for a final word on this. But before we leave, I do want to ask you, Brian, Chairman Daniel, um, is that this is your, your chance you're going to you're talking to a lot of business owners in Texas. Is there any one specific program um, you know that that the, the workforce commissioner oversees that you think is underused. You know that you you wish no, more Texas businesses knew about or took advantage of uh, that. You know that that could benefit them. Is there anything that comes to mind? You know the uh, that's a, that's a that's a good question. Uh, the number one uh, program <laughs> I would say answers your question is 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 our ability to help employers establish apprenticeship programs. I think there's a, a okay. voice for a company to establish themselves in an apprenticeship program, um, get an employee to join their company early, even pre-credentials, uh, help them see through those credentials and then become a valuable member of their community. And there's other programs like Skills Development Fund that help with very specific upskilling, but that apprenticeship program, uh, that's a way to build a long-term workforce. Great answer. All right, that's great. All right, Secretary Scott, listen, we've been you know, we've been talking with all, you know, you know, we've got a reporter, we've got the Workforce Commission person, we've got the business owner. There's a lot of challenges. They're talking about trying to find employees, hire, you know, you know pay for employees, you know, competition with big companies. But, you know, but Secretary Scott, meanwhile, Texas economy is one of like the, the, the most robust economies in the country. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, your, your employment numbers are top of the country. Um, State's doing really well. State's doing really well. So your chance now, you know, you want to attract people to the state and you want to attract companies to the state. Why Texas? So it's now the ninth largest economy in the world. It recently, we recently surpassed Brazil. Um, it is a, I think the GDP in uh, Q1 was 10.1%. National average was 6.9%. Uh, uh, so, and again, we're not talking about a state where we have a hundred thousand people, right? We're talking about 30 million people. Hmm. Uh, and one of the huge advantages this state has over anyone else is the amount of trade we do with Mexico. And why is that important? Well, the huge reason it's important is 47% of all auto parts used in the United States manufactured in the four border states of Texas, uh, from Texas in Mexico. Um, Texas has over 1,500 foreign companies currently doing business in the state. We have 32 foreign trade zones. Uh, uh, so we have this infrastructure. We're used to doing business in a big fashion with an enormous amount of companies. We recently, I, I sat down with the ambassador of the United States from Finland, and they, they had almost 500 companies that have been doing business in Russia. Uh, robustly, those companies have been forced to pull out of Russia. They are, this is a story that's mimicked by a number of ambassadors I visited with recently to the United States who are looking at opportunities in Texas to move those resources over there. And so it's a similar story that we tell those folks. We're not oil and gas only. We're, we're not technology only. 
We are a thriving state of agriculture, uh, petrochemical production, uh, and everything in between. And it is a phenomenal base of employees that we have, and it keeps attracting the best and brightest that want to come here and be a part of the success story that is Texas today. Thanks, guys, for joining. That was a, uh, a great conversation. I appreciate your time. Um, I want to wish you guys all the best. And uh, I'm jealous. I should move down to Texas. You convinced me. So thank you for your time. Thank you.